RN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I'm so glad that you joined me here today. This season on the podcast, our theme is Tell Your Story. And in today's episode, we are going to hear a pretty amazing story. My podcast guest today is Robin Parrish. I met Robin actually a couple of years ago at a women's retreat I was a part of. She was the speaker, and I got to know her a little bit over that weekend. And then recently, we reconnected, and I'm telling you, it was a God thing. The fact that her story is ready to be told right now, as our theme is actually tell your story. There is so much that you can learn from the things that Robin's going to share today. I appreciate her vulnerability, but also the way in which she is modeling healing, and especially healing in Christ. We do talk about some hard things on this podcast, but we also talk about some fun things like the Enneagram, like therapy dogs, like a new trip that she's about to go on. Just a side note though, in the middle of our conversation, our call dropped and we had to restart a new call. So you may hear a slight sound change partway through this episode, and that's what it was. You know, sometimes these things just happen Even in the middle of sacred moments, the internet can drop out. That's just how it goes, right? (laughs) Well, friends, I hope that you'll love this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Well, Robin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Would you like to share a little bit about yourself, whatever you'd like people to know about you? Thank you for having me, Jenny. Um, Oh, let's see. My name is Robin Parrish. I am married to Ken and we met at summer camp. Doesn't that sound like a sweet cliche, but (laughs) it's true. We met at summer camp. We've been married for 39 and a half years. We have um, two children who are both in their thirties, living their best lives. They both work in the mental health arena. Ministry wise, I've served in some churches, uh, mainly with children. Um, And then I've been involved with Bible Study Fellowship for over 30 years, and I've been a leader for over 26 years. And I've worked in communication for some Christian nonprofits. I have a Master's of Christian Leadership from Gordon-Conwell that I got in my 50s. So I was like, what are you going to do when you turn 50? Well, why not just go back to, you know, get a master's degree? So I did that. And I'm a lifelong learner. I love, love, love to learn. And so every year I try to do something new, learn something new. I have a friend that we challenge each other to do that and have an adventure of some sort. So. I love that. So this year, what's the adventure? What are you guys up to? Um, this Well, this year, the thing I learned was I took an oil painting class. I am not super bad at it, <laughs> but I would have to work to be really good. So we'll see how that goes. But I got all the stuff for it, you know. I like yeah. the stuff. So I've got that. It looks like I'm an oil painter if you see my stuff. And um, and our big adventure is that we're we have two dogs. And um I convinced my our big adventure was um a few years ago, I convinced my husband to get me um a very shishi dog about five years ago. And I wanted our dog, the dog to be a therapy dog. And then we got another dog and I wanted her to be a therapy dog and being a therapy dogs, you got to go through all these tests and things. So I convinced him to actually do it with me. And so both of us are certified 
to take one of each of our dogs as therapy dogs to hospitals and to do visits and to LR and to different, the university or all that. So we do that. So we're going to take our two dogs with us and we are going to head out West for a couple of weeks and um, hit the road with the puppies. So Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, North Dakota, because my husband's never been there and he only has one other state that he hasn't been to in the lower 48. So we had to do that. That's so fun. That's really cool. Okay, so I'm this season on our podcast, the theme is tell your story. And I'm looking at all kinds of different ways of looking at stories, like hearing people's stories, which I want to hear some of yours in a minute, but also the stories that Jesus told, talking about looking at our own stories and as a therapist, narrative therapy, like how do we look at that? How do we reframe? How do we adjust? All those kinds of things. So with you, I know that you've been through some pretty hard things in the last few years, and you've been pretty open about that with me, but I wondered if you could share a little bit about your journey in the last few years and um, some of the things that God's been teaching you along the way. Yeah, I love, I just, you just said story, and I didn't even know that was the whole overriding theme, and which is so funny because that's, you know, God does these things. He knits us together in these communities. And that's been a, a theme for me as well. We I did a retreat with my church and Kurt Thompson was one of the speakers. And he talked about story because and he said so much of our story happens before we're born and we have no control over it. And we kind of start there and we define ourselves by it. And um, then he had us break into small groups. And so many people expressed that their life started with my my parents wanted a boy or they wanted a girl and I wasn't that, or my parents didn't even, weren't even together and they had a baby. And, and I, I thought, Oh, well, this is so sad. Like we're, my story is at the very beginning, I really wouldn't know wanted me. And, um, and then I sat there and I thought, Oh yeah, I think my parents wanted a boy cause I, they already had a girl. So um, I'm one of four and story wise, I, I thought about how different my story is now than it was three or four years ago, which was three or four years ago, um, I would have said I was raised in a Christian home and I'm one of four and I went to summer camp and met the love of my, you know, it's just that sort of thing. But now when I look at my story, it's, it's, I, I had to totally reframe everything a few years ago. Well, before that, both of our children have had some neurological issues that at some point seemed so daunting that I just didn't even know how to process that. Um, I remember sitting, just to give you an idea of how daunting they felt, I remember sitting in a Mexican restaurant and my husband and I were talking and he was sharing that if you picked all the brackets for the NCA, you know, final four, if you picked them all right, you would get a billion dollars, you know, like how crazy is that? So we were sitting there and I just started crying <laughs> around like, okay, not everybody in this restaurant knows that I did not just say something horrible to you. So why are you crying? And I started crying and I said, think about it. A billion dollars seems like it could fix anything, but we have problems that a billion dollars can't even touch. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. If you have a problem that somebody would hand you all the money you could possibly have, and it wouldn't help you, 
then you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, and it struck me if money can fix it, it's, it's not that bad of a problem. It's a problem, but we had problems that money couldn't fix. Our, our son has epilepsy and um, our daughter has a, we're, we're not really sure the diagnosis is still iffy, but it looks like the beginning stages of MS. And, um, but both of them had hard traumatic little events that happened that were sudden that it just seemed overwhelming. And um, so I can remember one January where we got a phone call and after phone call and I thought, what is next? So we have navigated some health issues with our kids and they're doing great now. It's just amazing. At the time, I couldn't have thought that they would be as healthy and just really doing great. So that's been wonderful. Um, A few years ago, um, though, after COVID, like kind of in the middle of it, we realized my mother had some really hard mental health issues just her memory was lapsing. She was getting lost, not making appointments. And we knew that we had to do something. So my older sister was so sweet. And so they can move into the apartment in my basement and I'll watch them and that'll be great. And we went through the process. We all worked together. I'm one of four and we all put our you know, elbow grease and we take weekends and go up there and get their house ready to sell. And the more time we spent with my parents, the, the, the stranger things got we had to go through drawers and pack things and we kept finding odd things that, you know, we, you know, we're sisters and you know, that the sisters would like, look at this, this is weird. What's this about, you know, and send it to all of us and stuff. And at first it was funny. And then um, one day my sister was talking to my parents. They'd already moved in and um, my mom's dementia let something slip. And we realized that my dad had a, totally different life than we knew. And he was, I know your face. I was, that's how shocked we all were. Everyone was shocked. Three months prior to that, he was teaching Sunday school, you know? And then all of a sudden we found out because my mom couldn't, she said something to my sister. She said, I had four little kids. What was I supposed to do? Where was I supposed to go? I had four kids. I have to take care of my children. And my sister confronted my father who admitted that he had been unfaithful to my mother, that he was not the person that we knew at all. And it was shocking. And he was not apologetic. He was not repentant. He never said he was sorry he um, he kind of doubled down and said, you guys are Christians. You should forgive me. And um, I don't know why you're being so judgmental. And this is just who I am. This is how God made me. And all four of us were just shocked. My mother was the most shocking because my mother, my sister said, well, I, I don't feel comfortable with you here in my basement. And so they, they had plenty of finances. So they, there was a beautiful, beautiful place they could go nearby. And they actually moved there and loved it. But my mom was, to the end, my father father passed away in January. To the end, she was going to stay with him. And so she did. And then when he passed away, it um, it was so, she's so different now. She's lighter, happier, freer. I, You know, but going through that for the last two years was 
so hard because it changed my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I had all these childhood stories that I thought I knew what they meant. And probably the thing that made me a seven on the Enneagram, you know, they talk about the Enneagram being your first wound, your first trauma, right? And and I remembered this moment in my story. And I had told my story. I've told it this story to people who I my, who deeply know me, right? And now I'm telling it to everyone on a podcast. But yeah. I told it. <laughs> but there was a moment as a little girl, I remember my mom and my father getting in this they got in this huge argument, a beyond big argument. And my mom was leaving. And I remember standing on the steps begging her not to go. And she was like, no, I'm going, I'm going and I'm going to, and I'm never coming back kind of thing. And you can tell your father that. And, and I don't know if that's what she said. I don't know if that's what four-year-old me thought she said. In four-year-old me, it was my fault that she was leaving because four-year-olds are the center of the universe. So everything they, they, you know, they have magic over all things. And so, but now I realize that's probably the moment my mom first found out that my father was who he was. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this moment where I thought my mom was so horrible to me, I realized that's the day her life was falling apart. And I couldn't have, and she, I, there's no way she could have ever let me know that, that that was the day. And so then I look back on their relationship and how it impacted all of us and And then I think, oh, my story is not what I thought. And I had very little control over it for a very long time that I didn't understand. So that has been really hard. At that moment, thankfully, I had already pulled back from doing a lot of the group things I was doing. I'm a great group person. Jenny, I love group Bible study. Yes. Uh Me too. Why just do one? Let's do two. Okay. No, let's do another one. Let's do one online. Let's do one with a friend somewhere. I mean, I, I'm an extrovert. And so it's like the more the merrier. Let's let's go, you know? And for some reason I had stopped doing Bible study fellowship. I'd stopped my group at my church. I just didn't sign up for things. And when everything fell apart two days after Thanksgiving, I had the space to call a Christian counselor and say, I need to talk. I need to really unpack all of this. And so I decided that what was really important to me and what the counselor helped me do was compose a letter to my dad. It took a long time and there were so many edits and I sent it to my siblings and I was like, do do you think this is accurate? And um, they said, yeah. And so I sent it and I never, I never heard back. I saw him afterwards and he said nothing. He didn't even act like he got the letter and, um, and that was it. And then he passed away. Uh, and you know, when somebody passes away, you have to go through their stuff. Uh-huh. And I kept going we, my sisters and I all went through um, 
And I have a brother, but he has asked just not to be a part of this because he's he's got a lot going on with his kids, and he's like, I I just can't do this. Do you, and he's been great. He's always, you know, we always keep him in the loop, but he just he's the youngest, and he's like, I'm out, and we all respect that. And so um, we said okay, and and we went through his stuff, and I kept expecting, hoping to find some little nugget that said, no, he changed or he was repentant. And actually we just found more and more <laughs> things that just confirmed that um, he was living a, a very duplicitous life. And he actually said to a faster that I'm really great at manipulating. I'm a, I'm the chief manipulator deceiver and was quite proud of that fact that he had deceived all of us and was able to manipulate all of us. <laughs> Living with that person as your father, who I never was very close to my dad because he seemed he seemed hypocritical to me a lot and not a very kind person, not kind to my mother at all, and um, sarcastic. Which yeah, I married the opposite. Like I married somebody of integrity and somebody who looks the same all the time. You know, he's just he's just very reliable and stable. And I didn't have that growing up. I had very a lot of instability. And um, so it just reframing my whole story based on that has been interesting. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's my life. It's it, it, my story changed dramatically. And I remember when um, Ian Crone's new book broke about story. Have you? No. Anyway, I love his new book about story, but what I, I had listened to his podcast talking about his book about story. And he talks about our stories and the stories we tell ourselves. And he bases it on your Enneagram number. The story that ones tell, the story that twos tell, the story that threes tell. And I remember walking my dogs, listening to that podcast and just crying, just starting to cry because I thought I knew what my siblings Enneagram numbers were. And I knew the stories and how he winds that whole thing up is the story that helped you survive when you're a child will not let you thrive as an adult uh-huh. because it's not the gospel. Right. Okay. And so like my older sister, who's very successful, who has her own business, who has letters behind her name, right? My older sister's, you know, she's a three. I can, you know instantly tell you she's a three. And so the story is, you know, you're only as good as your last failure for her, you know, and you're, you, you've got to succeed. You've got to try. And I literally was crying thinking, what a burden, because he said, that's not the gospel. That's the opposite of what Jesus says about you, that your value is so intrinsic to him that it has nothing to do with your performance, you know? And then for me, for me as a seven, you know, the world can't handle your stuff. You shouldn't tell people your pain. You should be happy. They just want you to show up and bring the joy. And you, and and if you get sad, do something. You can distract yourself. You can buy something. You can, you know, and, and to say, Jesus said, no, you know, come to me. All you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He wants my sadness as much as my joy. He wants 
my brokenness and sorrow. And he wants to hear my lament as much as he wants to hear my praise. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel. That's the cross. That's why Jesus died. And so it is, it is such an amazing thing. And and just watching God through this year, just, I was grappling as my, I knew my dad was going to, is passing away and, um, and him being unrepentant. And it just so happened that I was studying um, Israel and the minor prophets and how the minor prophets kept saying, repent, repent, turn, turn. Don't do this. You know, you are so, you're being so wicked and cruel to people and harmful to people. Repent, apologize. If you'll, if you'll just repent, I will forgive you. And they don't. And they go into exile and they don't repent. And the whole time I'm like, who doesn't repent? And then there's my daddy's doubling down. And I thought, oh, it's a, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have choices to make and you can't, you can't force somebody to tell you, I'm sorry. And, and, and I had, and I learned to be good with that. And I learned to be able to call him my dad again. Cause for a long time I couldn't even do that. I'd just call him his name. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I did 23 and me and I wanted to find out maybe I, my mom was doing that, but now I am his child. <laughs> I thought that, that'd be a nice twist, you know? Oh, he's not your father. No, but it's been hard, but it's been, it's been a journey that has also weirdly enough given me back my siblings because part of deception is that you've got to make sure that all the people don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So. He would make sure that he would put up barriers between my siblings and I telling me things like, oh, your sister thinks you, you're, you spend too much money at this, or your sister thinks you don't do this right, or your brother said this bad thing about you, or your mom had said this about you. And so playing us all off against each other. And so we... And and my dad had misused a lot of money and used money for his own purposes and gotten in some financial trouble. And it actually told me that it was my older sister's fault that he they had to give her money and take a second mortgage on their house for my older sister. And I was so angry at my sister. How could you do that? How could you do that to people in retirement? She didn't do that. <laughs> it just made it up. And we talked about it and I said, I'm really sorry. I never asked you if you did that. So it's, it was really interesting how here's this whole story of my family and one person is just pulling the strings and we don't know it. And we're, and it's been great because now we all talk about it. We text all the time. We're all very close to my mom. And matter of fact, I'm going to go see my mom in a couple of days. And my little sister who lives in Dallas said, oh, I'm flying in when you're there, you know, and let's see if we can all get together. That wouldn't have happened five years ago. Hmm. It it wouldn't have happened at all. And that we wouldn't have had all this. We've had so much sister fun time and um, it's been cool. It's been good. So, And of course, I'm a seven, so I can turn everything to the good. You reframe you know. that, huh? Yeah. You, you guys I can reframe really everything. <laughs> 
Yeah. But what you're <laughs> telling me, I mean, honestly, that is such a heartbreaking story. What you're telling me is your whole life up until your 50s had one veneer over it. And then all of a sudden, it's like the filter changed over all of it looking back because of yes. the way your dad was and even the way your relationships were. Yes, everything. I had n- no idea how manipulated we had all been. And um, and we're part of his cover, you know, because then he he went to the church. I mean, my dad, we call his nickname was Deacon Dave. He had us in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But he here's a few tells, though. I want to give you guys some. Here's a tell. Here's here's what I now know. Like a red flag, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Red flags. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here are red flags. Men never crack the Bible. Oh. Okay. At home. Uh, Taught Sunday school, but never studied the Bible. (laughs) And never did small group. Never had close male friends who held him accountable who knew him, um, never sat under the teaching of anybody else. Always wanted to teach Sunday school, never wanted to be taught. Mm. Uh, always said the same prayer. Matter of fact, one of, one of my triggers now is if you start a prayer, my dad always started a prayer the same way. Our most heavenly gracious father. And it would the same prayer. And just looking at those things, thinking, I saw him as shallow, but it was, if you're going to fake being a Christian, it's like you can, Yeah. but there are certain things that are tells that it, because he was my father, I just didn't question, mm. but I mean, we got in fun. We, we would get in fun theological arguments <laughs> and um, he couldn't keep up. So he'd just be mad at me. Like it, you know, say something to me. But it's now that I look back on it, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. And my older sister, who was, I was close to my mom. And that's the other thing that happened in my family was that my dad picked my older sister to be his confidant. And my mom picked me, which kind of left our younger siblings in the dust. And, um, but when I was in my twenties, I decided not to be in that mix. And so I chose to exit. And, and the other thing was I, when I was in my twenties, chose really good boundaries that at the time seemed harmful and crazy. Like my mom would tell people, they'd say, are you going to go to your daughter's for Thanksgiving? And my mom would say, oh yes, she's told me the day, the moment I can arrive and the moment I can leave. And I had to do that because they would come and stay a week and it wasn't healthy for my family. And so I remember saying, we would love to have you for Thanksgiving. It will be so lovely for you to come Wednesday afternoon. And we'd love to say goodbye to you on Friday. <laughs> and and we stopped having them watch my kids. We, for a long time, they wanted to watch our kids if we went on a vacation or something, you know, and I realized they're, their relationship was not healthy enough to be around my teenagers. So I would just have, you know, young women from the church come and watch my kids. And, um, and there was even a season where their relationship was so toxic. I did not let my children go to their house. And that caused a huge rift in my family. Now, I guess as a two, you couldn't do that, but as a seven. Well, I'm learning. So (laughs) that takes me into the Ian Crone stuff that you said. 
I have, I used to listen to his podcast. I haven't listened in a long time, so I've missed all that. But I was actually thinking about potentially this spring doing a series on the Enneagram and how that would look in our stories, but clearly he's already done it. So that's good. I just need to go look, look up and see what he's been doing. But <laughs> I think you can always add to it yeah. though. <laughs> or take away from it. Maybe. I don't know. Yes. But like, oh, I don't like that part. Yeah. But what I was thinking about is recently I started reading a book called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've heard of it, but oh. it talks about spirit- Richard Rohr. Yes. Yeah. Not the book. But. talks about spirituality and the two halves of life and how the, I have not finished it by the way. It's a deep, thick read, but um, and he talks about the first half of life. We're like building a container with which to carry the things we need. And then the second half of life, we're putting what we need in the container. But some people never leave the first part. And in order to get from the first part to the second part, I mean, it's a leap. I almost think like midlife crisis in a way, or like you can't carry the things that you used to carry because they're no longer serving you. And you need to look, look at things differently. It's not all about building a name for yourself or Mm -hmm. success. It's about how do I pass things on to the next generation, all that kind of stuff. And in a really painful way, it sounds like that's kind of what the last three or four years have been for you is like this veneer that I've had for all these years, like not in a, not in a healthy way, really did it come about, but God kind of orchestrated this change inside of you in the process of all that, all that painful stuff and the suffering of what you said about the seven stuff and how really that doesn't serve you completely because it's really the gospel is what you need, but it helped Mm -hmm. you survive in your younger years. And so you needed it then in a way. Oh, I couldn't have gone through my childhood without the Pollyanna sevenness of my life and to just, because I I definitely have the ability to look on the sunny side, to be very positive. Um, that That is not something that comes hard to me. And so as a child, I lived, um, I love literature and the summer I've just kind of done, I just, I just now realized that there's so many free audiobooks mm, yeah. on streaming services, like free people are reading to you. So I redid Anna Green Gables and I thought, Oh, that's why I like Anna Green Gables so much. I lived in my imagination so much as a child. I would through play theater. I was, you know, we would make up our own plays in the backyard and do them and, we just, I would go in the woods beside the house and pretend there were fairies living there as a child. I would, if the wind blew, I'd run out and twirl around like I was Dorothy. Or we, if you had a hollow stump in the yard, the Keebler elves lived there. I mean, as a child, I had this wild imagination of just all sorts of stuff. And um, now I look back on that, that's the seven in me, you know, just wanting to create something that's beautiful, <laughs> like a dead tree stump. <laughs> oh, let's make that. A, that's where all the fairies would live. Of course. That's why it's a dead tree stump, you know, where the Keebler elves would live there. And so it's, it's, it does serve you, but then being able to look at what's real and say, this hurts. Mm-hmm. And I need to figure out what to do with that and not just, do the next thing, you know, cause I, I needed to sit and, and I, and I listened to one of your podcasts where you talk finding a place to sit. That was the sweetness of God finding a place to sit. We have a few years ago, 
right when we had some hard stuff with our kids' health and my husband was like, oh, work is really draining. I said, what if we got a house in the mountains, a place where we could just go? And we looked for a long time. And then finally, I sent an email to on a particularly hard day where I didn't have a lot of margin. And I thought, I can't keep running up to the mountains looking at property. I sent an email to to the real estate agent and I said, we're done for a while. We'll call you when we're ready to get back in the game, but we're out. An hour later, I got a text message from a dear friend who said, found your house. It's not on the market yet. Come buy it. And he had already contacted my real estate agent and told him I needed this house. And I, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of this. But I looked and that was the house that just worked out. And we ended up buying this house very near where my husband and I met at summer camp, very nice. close to the summer camp for a few miles from the summer camp. And, but it overlooks a part of the Blue Ridge Parkway where my husband and I went on our date that we fell in love in. And so, and that's my place. I just have a, it has so many porches and I sit on a porch and I spent so much porch time, quiet time with God, just asking him questions and just sitting there and listening and asking another question and listening and resting in him and reading scripture and reading books and just resting and just giving myself space to grieve mm-hmm. and to think. Um, it's where I wrote the letter to my dad. It's where I still go back to regularly to just sit um, and breathe and be and um, pray. It was it was very, very beautiful to have that space. And I, I just felt like God had given me that space. A safe so. place to sort through things and grieve and let him sit with you. That's really what a gift. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So Robin, on our, on this podcast, we talk a lot about soul care and I know that that is near and dear to your heart as well. In fact, I think you'll be talking about stories and soul care at an upcoming retreat you're leading. So I wondered for you, like that sounds like a soul care practice of having a safe place to go sit, breathe, be with Jesus. Do you have any other practices that you're using right now that that help you in your day-to-day life? Well, I always love, yes. Yeah, I always, I do, you know, morning devotional, um, my favorite devotional. And I I don't know why I love it. I just, well, it's good devotional, New Morning Mercies. Mm-hmm, I have that. Um, have you, have you, I love New Morning Mercies um, and um, reading Psalms. And, um, and then I've just tried to incorporate things I'm not comfortable with. I do feel like that oftentimes, and I will gravitate toward the things that are easiest and most comfortable to me. And then I'll walk away from things that are like, oh, I don't, that sounds odd. That sounds like, why would you do that? Like just sitting there, that's not a normal thing for me to do is to sit and to just feel the wind and, you know, breathe. But I do think it's a really essential part of my faith journey to spend time meditating. And for years I would, you know, when I taught a Bible study, 
I was very diligent to, you know, I had this practice of, of really preparing to teach, but it didn't involve a lot of meditation. And if I could go back and do it again, I would spend a lot more time thinking and just meditating. And later on, I became an area advisor and I got to train people and help people teach and hear them teach and reflect on their teaching with them. And in that process of doing that, I got to tell people that you might want to meditate a little bit more and (laughs) spend a little bit more time just you know, and, and, and telling people, if you think this is the main truth of the passage, write it down on a post-it note, stick it on your car, in your car, if you drive a lot or stick it on your bathroom window and read it and then tweak it. Oh, you know, like let it ferment, let it go to your heart. It, you know, teach from the overflow of what God taught you, not from your head mm-hmm. and really teach from your heart. And so letting the scripture get in there to me first, letting it you know, stay in there for me and not be something. It's easy when you're teaching something to prepare it for other people and not for yourself. And so to really be conscious that the Bible needs to speak to me first before I can let it speak through me, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so just not cutting short that process. Um, And then just different, just experimenting with prayer, breath prayer and prayers, using your body um, as a way to pray. Um, There's a way to pray where you, um, you know, turn your hands up when you're talking to God about all the goodness he's given you. And then you turn your hands upside down. You know, when you say, you know, God, take this out of, I've got envy. I've got, you know, FOMO. I've, I'm, I'm not listening well. I've got anger issues, you know, and just throw those down and use your hands and throw those down and then raise your hands up to the sky and say, but, you know, and raise them to God and tell him what he can do. Um, And that's not natural to me. That's at all, you know, and, you know, kneeling and just changing your position and your posture and going and standing. I love in Anna Green Gables. She says, if I really wanted to pray, I'd go stand on a mountain and I just feel a prayer and, you know, and, and that's not a bad idea to do that Mm -hmm. and to, to invite Jesus into every day and, um, you know, into every moment and just stop what you're doing and say, wait a minute, who, why do I feel this way? What's going on? So those are some spiritual practices. And, and then a lot of really good spiritual disciplines come through community and relationship. So uh, we have a group of friends. There are eight couples who are in a small group in the nineties when we all lived in Kentucky together. And a few years ago, um, and we used to have reunions every year when we moved and then we stopped because our kids got busy and nobody could do it. We, you know, soccer and college and everybody, you know, and now all the kids are, we all have empty nests. And so we decided a few years ago, one of our friends called, let's all do it again. And so now we have a practice of all getting together every fall for a weekend and just catching up, praying together, praising God together, just being in community. And there's a lot to be said about 
um, spiritual disciplining community. Yes, I agree. You know, mm-hmm. having those friends that I remember when, when the whole thing happened with my dad and I was driving up to Kentucky. Actually, it was when my dad had passed away and I needed to get up to Kentucky and I stopped in Knoxville, Tennessee to just go on a long walk with one of my friends in that group. And she's been a dear friend for 30 years now. And so I just stopped and I went to her house and hugged her, hugged her husband. And then we just went and walked her neighborhood and prayed and talked and prayed and talked because I needed a break on my drive and I needed to get, I just needed, I needed somebody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll never forget while we were walking, she said, sometimes I really struggle with why God would let this, these things happen to you. Cause she looked at me and she said, I love you so much. And you've been really faithful to God. And it just seems like, you've had enough. You, you shouldn't have to have any more. Like, I feel like you've grown through it and you're kind of good. Like, she's kind of like, God just needs to stop. It's like, you know, and she's not Job's friend, but she was just getting there, you know? And, um, and it was beautiful. And she really felt for me uh-huh. and I could tell her she felt for me and we stopped walking and I turned to her, the sun setting. It's quite, quite a lovely day. And, and I just said, here's the thing. Do you know how many people I have in my life that desperately pray for me and love me? And I had to text today to tell them what was going on so they could pray for me. And they're very supportive of me. And I said, most people don't have that. And that you're just such a gift. I said, you're a gift from God, you know, and, and and I have had to learn Jenny through a lot of this that, um, you know, it's transactional to say that I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow Jesus, so I wouldn't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. And he never promised it. Mm-hmm. That was never, like, if you go back and look at the contract, it's not in there. It's just not. Right. If anything, it's the opposite. And our culture doesn't really preach that very much. But <laughs> he no. says, come with me. There will be trouble. <laughs> Yeah, if you follow me, there's going to be trouble. But here's the deal. You're never alone. That's right. That's right. You were, and you know, loneliness is the worst thing. And to think, to go through something alone. But, you know, I have Jesus and I also have this just huge community of people that I know because of my faith walk that have really, really really supported me through everything. And that's been amazing. And I do think that's important for soul care Mm -hmm. is having your people. You know, I remember a friend said that when I moved to Hickory, a friend of mine said, um, she said when she first moved to Hickory, North Carolina, somebody said, well, who are your people? (laughs) 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 Who are your people? And, uh, and you know, I think the question is, who's your family? Yeah, that's yeah. what the person's probably. Who's your kid? That's what you. she meant. <laughs> yeah, that's what she meant. But what I think is, oh, I've got so many people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, and they're all people I've known from church, small group, Bible studies. You know, all these lovely people, and um, and it's been, 
that part of soul care is really important, but just learning to sit and listen to the Lord and understand that I don't understand. Right. That's the one thing the counselor kind of brought me to peace with is you say to yourself, well, well, what made it happen? What happened to that? Well, you want to know, you know, you want to uncover, you want to do this research, you want to figure it all out. And I had to say, I may never know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my my dad decided that. And I do think he had decades where he tried. But I do think that I'll never know what was in his mind, what trauma he might have suffered, what was in their relation. I'll never know. I can't. And they can't. And here's the deal. Like part of me wanted to go ask. And then I thought, why would you ask somebody who's been lying to you your whole life to tell you the truth? That seems like a fool's errand. And it, and it really, it was one I didn't go on. I, I, I decided, no, I don't need to know. I just need to you know, do the work with me. You know, though, as a counselor sitting with people who are grieving, I think that's the bargaining phase of grief. And it happens for everyone is asking the hard questions like, what if, why? And I don't think that we get to the other side until we've begun to ask those questions. But then it's like, well, what do you do with those questions when they show up? And so you wrestled with them and you came to peace with them. And that was part of the journey for sure. Well, Robin, I really appreciate that you shared that story with us because I know that that was vulnerable. And as you were talking about your safe people in your life and your people, as the lady said, <laughs> um, you know, when we when we suffer, we ha- we have a vulnerability that we don't normally have, and that's when we figure out who our real friends are and who really loves us, even when we don't bring the joy. You know even when we're not the helper, quote unquote, even when we're not the fixer, even when we're not the success driven person, like when we're really a mess, who's still there. And so that's a real gift. And I just really appreciate that you shared that story with, with all of us who are listening, because I guarantee there are people who listen today who definitely needed to hear that story or who are suffering with their own, maybe unnamed, or they haven't been able to voice story. And they probably needed some of that encouragement. And so I really appreciate that. Um, Do you have anything that you would want to share for somebody who may be struggling with personal things and maybe they don't have a good community at large or how they could find that or some resources? Yeah, I, I think, um, actually I was talking to my daughter the other day and she told me that one that you probably know this, but she said all the research points to the fact that the people who have the most friends are the ones who think they um, are deserve them. Uh They think, yeah. (laughs) Well, why wouldn't people like me? And I I did tell my husband, I said, Oh yeah, that kind of explains a lot to me. Cause if somebody, and there are people who don't like me, like legit don't like me. And sometimes I'll say, well, they just don't know me. Yeah, (laughs) Like I'm the most likable person. They just don't know me. So part of it is just liking, I think it's liking yourself too. But um, the other thing is that, you know, churches are filled with broken people and yes. you will get hurt. But understand that not all churches are the same. Not all groups in one church are the same. If you haven't found your people where you are, keep looking. 
Okay. Cause you're going to find them. I once went to a church and it's funny. Everybody said to me for like the first month, they told me I, I, they'd have all the, it was over summer. I had two little kids. And so I do all these events at this church so I could get to know the other women. And every woman I, I met said, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. You know who you really need to meet is so-and-so. They all were basically saying, I don't have space or time to be your friend. So let me push you off on somebody else. I mean, that was like everybody. I felt so rejected at this church and weirdly enough stayed. And then, (laughs) but about a month in, I met somebody who was new too. She just moved there. She had two little kids. And we met and that had been her experience too. And she laughed about it. And she is still to this day, one of my dearest friends, you know, and, um, and I love that because I, did I make friends with all the popular women at that church that ran the church that were in the group that were each other's friends, whose kids were all friend, you know, that group. No, Nancy Jane Bean Blossom. That was my friend. And we had so much stinking fun. Um, doing stuff, working with the youth together. Um, I mean, we called ourselves Lucy and Ethel all the time because we were always getting in little scrapes. But so it, you don't need a million people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you just need a couple really good friends. And then the other thing about my story is that when I look back on it, I can look back on that little girl and I, I'm, I might cry. That's okay. That's okay to cry. Um, I'll look back on her and I'll think, that um Jesus was there with her. God was with her. God protected me not knowing was such a protection for me. My mother, and even then I it's God was so good at a few about a, two months later I'm I met somebody, a new person. I didn't know them at all. And they told me this random story about somebody who had four kids and who was deep in this Christian ministry and who had this totally different life and it was exposed and it totally ruined their marriage and ruined those children's lives and all this stuff. (laughs) I was just sitting there thinking, Oh my goodness, that would have been me. And so to really appreciate the fact that my mom, she did something I would never do. I would never throw my personal happiness away like that. I would, never throw my personal peace away like that. And to appreciate my mom's sacrifice, um, even though I don't understand it and I would never recommend it to anybody in the whole wide world. Okay. Ever, ever. I wouldn't, but to understand that my mom is this beautiful person and that, and that God was with me. And I learned a lot. I learned resilience. I learned what so many things And, um, and, and then I've got my family back, you know, I've got my siblings back and, um, and we can laugh at it now, weirdly enough. Oh my goodness. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard as when we had to go through my dad's stuff (laughs) (laughs) and people would, people would keep coming up to me because I'd go, you know, oh yeah, my, my father passed away. People, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's no, it's, here's the weird thing. He physically died, but the man I knew as my dad died a year and three months before his body died. Mm -hmm. And I had to grieve the death of that person. 
because I didn't know that person. Like, I, I don't know this other person. And so it was the oddest thing to grieve the death of somebody when they're still living and be in total grief, right, for over a year. And then that person really leave you in a physical form. And, but that's a stranger to you. Cause I don't, I don't really know that person. Mm. I realized that that person's not somebody I knew. So to me, it taught me that I need to be honest with people and to let them know me. Yeah. The real not, you. Not just the real me, the authentic self of me and, um, my messed up self and, um, and, and the, God, the way God knows me and loves me and accepts me. So that's, those are some things about my story, but, um, that's beautiful. Anyway. Thank you. So if people want to know more about you, because I mean, you're an active lady, you're kind of all over the place. You're a speaker, you're a writer, you do communication stuff. How can people keep up with you? How can they find you? I don't, <laughs> I don't have a lot of social media and that's it's good. private. I'm, <laughs> and I like to, I, I'm a, I'm a kind of aggressively, and even on social, I don't put a lot of stuff up there. You'll find more about my dogs than me. I'm a photographer. And um, the only thing public about me is my photography, but that's even not something I promote tremendously. I'm a, uh, as my husband says, I, I make myself a little hard to find, but I like my free time so much that I, I don't want to schedule every moment. I like, I fiercely guard those things that are special to me. And um, it's funny, Jenny, a lot of people think, oh, you talk so much and you tell so many stories. And um, again, from Anne of Green Gables, if you need the stuff I didn't say, um, because I do fiercely guard certain parts of myself and my story. And I think that's important, too. Here's the other thing. Not everybody is worthy of hearing your story. (laughs) And guard those parts that are just for you. I mean, there are so many parts of myself that. Uh, you know, I, I guess I say I curate my story mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all do. Yeah. Don't we? yeah. We all we do. curate our story. So it's, it's, I tell those things and, um, and I could even tell you more about, you know, other stuff about my dad, but I don't feel like I want to, but, um, do you want to share any yeah. places you'll be speaking soon? If anybody wants to hear right it. now, it's just the, at the Corinth women's retreat. Okay. I'm, which I'm is speaking there in October and, in October, it's the first weekend of October, and we've uh, and I'm speaking, but I told them I don't want to. A lot of times, speakers speak for a really long period of time, and um, I I do. We're doing more of a retreat format than a conference, so um, we're we've got a lot of free time built into our retreat where people can not only listen to me but listen to God too, and listen to the other women that are there. So that's something that I really wanted wanted to do. Okay, well, I will link to Corinth Women's Ministry when I post for this on Instagram and Facebook. So if people want to go look that up, they sure can. Robin, it's been a real gift for you to be here today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad I got to meet you after I looked at your podcast and I thought, I know. Oh, I've read that book. She's read it. Yeah. And I've seen that. Per- oh, yeah. We have I a know. lot in common. We do, but it's, you know, it seems like we live in a small town, but it's not that small. Thanks again, Robin, for being on today's podcast episode. It was such a joy to reconnect with you and to hear your story. 
We do have an awful lot in common, it seems like, and apparently we really like some of the same authors and podcast hosts as well. <laughs> so no doubt we will be running in the same circles. It was a real encouragement to me to hear your story today, and I know it was for many of the people who are listening today too. So friends, if something specific stood out to you or resonated with you, feel free to share. You can leave a comment under today's show notes on any podcast app or on the website. Or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram and leave me a message there as well. Well, friends, if you know somebody who could benefit from this podcast or this podcast episode specifically, I hope that you will pass it on and share. Next week, we'll be back with another Soul Care Reflection episode, and I look forward to meeting with you then. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.